Hello there and welcome to the Whole Healed Holy Podcast, a place for conversations of the heart, for exploring healing, divinity, and all things sacred. I'm your host, Patricia Russo. I'm a mystic, muse, and spiritual teacher, guiding women into their hearts with a journey of softening. I'm a published poet, a lover of hearts, and a forever student. Welcome, love, to a sacred pause and hopefully a few tingles, and to a reminder that we are all whole, healed, and holy. I'm so happy you are here. Let's slip into today's episode. What a joy it is to be here with these two today. My guest and her very soon-to-be little princess that is still, I'm certain, in this dancing mama's belly, (laughs) hearing her papa sing to her from the other side. I love my guest dearly. We've shared many conversations publicly over the years, but this one feels really, really special to me, and I Mm -hmm. hope that you feel this way too. A biography that you can easily find for yourself is how I like to start each one of these episodes with guests that are really dear to me. And Alexandra, when your assistant sent me a choice of the short bio or the long bio, I'm like, this woman is so spectacular that I cannot cheat her with the short bio. So, Oh no, but the long one is long. I know, but I really, I want to take time here because you are so amazing in so many ways. And normally I wouldn't take this much space and time to share all of these details, but it's like a really careful moment that I took Mm. every word in your biography so that everybody knows how exquisite you are, how deep you are. I didn't want to cut this short. And um, Alexandra Roxo is an artist, best-selling author, and mentor in, in the space of embodied spirituality and transformation. She aims to bring modern embodied spirituality into the lives and hearts of people who have forgotten their spiritual connection to life or their bodies or sexuality, or simply think that spirituality cannot include their full, wild, raw selves. Her goal is to continue to invite people into devotional and spiritual living and to reclaim experience-based embodied spirituality again as a greater culture. Alexandria has been featured as a guest speaker on many renowned podcasts and on TV, including two seasons of Netflix's Too Hot to Handle, where she was called the Deeper Connection Queen. She also has appeared on Vice TV's Slut Ever, an epic sex life show, and at numerous festivals and events worldwide. Well and Good called her a modern spiritual leader. And the New York Times said of Alexander's work, come for the meditation coaching and stay to get in touch with the divine feminine within. She has also been featured in Harper's Bazaar, Vogue, Playboy, and InStyle magazine for her work bringing embodied spirituality to women worldwide. She has led retreats at 1440 Multiversity, Kripalu uh, Center, Kripalu Center, and Maha Rose. Her first book titled Fuck Like a Goddess, Heal Yourself, Reclaim Your Voice, Stand in Your Power was released in July of 2020. By that time has has just flown with Sounds True her publisher. It quickly became the number one new release on Amazon and remained a bestseller for five consecutive weeks in 2020. The book achieved this status in three categories. It regained its popularity in 2023 with the release of the paperback version. 
It was featured on Refinery29, Pop Sugar, Bustle, and InStyle as a comprehensive guidebook for women on modern spirituality beyond the mainstream. It is also praised as a practical resource for healing that encompasses the body, the mind, and the spirit. Publishers Weekly called it a sharp, forceful debut, and it was one of Bustle's best summer reads. Before delving into the space of spirituality with her work, Alexandra spent over a decade writing and creating as a filmmaker, artist, actress, and director, including co-creating the cult web show, Be Here Nowish, and the Vice show, Every Woman, which was viewed by over 15 million people and turned into a TV pilot with executive producer Spike Jones. Am I saying that right? Jones? Jones? Alexandra holds a BFA from New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, where she studied playwriting, art for healing and social change, movement and embodiment, vocal work, and the dramatic arts for healing and expression. She has also studied with various teachers in different spiritual traditions since she was 13 years old. When she met her first spiritual teacher, Bobby Drinian, uh, as a young girl in Georgia, she began her studies on embodiment, meditation, and yoga practice at 18 and has studied various types of energy work and is a student of multiple spiritual traditions. She has also been trained in trauma-informed care and works with clients one-on-one as a coach and a mentor. Alexandra reminds us of our feminine power and that sensuality and devotion belong together. This is a quote from Rebecca Campbell. I like to start with that. And I'm so glad that I took a, like a good amount of, of our time together to share every word of that, Alexandra, because it's so important for people to know all that you've accomplished and all like really who you are um, before mm. we come into this conversation. And I always start with that, that biography that people can find on their own. And then I like to start every episode with just a, how I see you. Mm, thank you. I feel a little bit like an overachiever hearing that. I'm like, shit, please don't compare yourself to me. I just want to take care of all of your listeners' hearts. And I think that part of my being an only child and being raised by two adults who were doing their best, but who were had a lot of unhealed trauma in their fields, meant that I, at a young age, had to kind of find like myself. They really did help me with that. And I became very self-sufficient and independent, part of which I have had to undo. Mm-hmm. But part of that really served me because it said, girl, go make your life, go do your thing, go follow your passions and your dreams. So at a young age, I I had the impetus to make things happen for myself. Later in life, like I said, that would become a bit of a shell or a mask that I would have to soften through. And I don't regret it. You know, it's been part of my path. It's like I've had to be the go-getter. Nobody's done it for me. Like I started working my first job when I was 12 at the church nursery, making money and saving my money. And you know, I worked since I was 12. I worked two jobs through my time at NYU. I worked two jobs all summer to like buy a car. I worked 80 hours a week when I was 16. And so that kind of like hustler that lived and that was born inside of me from not having enough or not having proper love or care around, again, not in a victim way, but like in just like the circumstance, I was raised by a single mom. 
who was working as well. So all of that kind of fueled me to be able to be a bit of a badass in what I wanted to do in my life. Now at almost age 40, I'm still like undoing that my value or my worth or my lovability has anything to do with anything you read in the bio. (laughs) Okay. But that's a perfect segue because I like to start with all of that stuff just to give us like the mind part, the the brainy part of who you are and what you've accomplished. And I love that you're, you're sharing that before I launch into how I see you, because this is really how my love language is how I see sisters. And it's really much more in the heart. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. For me, you are the embodiment of this delicious and terrifying truth that I know and that I live, which is that we are 100% human and 100% spirit at the very same time. Mm. You are permission to be both at the Mm. very same time. You are the embodiment of the process, of the messiness, of the creative potential, of the curiosity and questions, of the actual steps, the practices, and the path in this human realm while being so solidly, so clearly, so beautifully, 100% spirit, 100% heart, 100% love, love as an expression of being, as an art, as devotion, as the feminine. And witnessing you deeply living and being is permission for all of us to expand, to remember, to be in our fullness without apology or justification or explanation even. You are brave in your beautiful being and walking beside you is an honor and something that I cherish greatly. I think I speak for all of us who do this because it's you're so generous with sharing how you're doing life, <laughs> how you've mm-hmm. done life in all these different renditions of yourself. And um, yeah, it's just, it's really an honor to walk with you, mm. to witness you. We fell in love with each other on Erica and Paul's retreat many years ago, I've lost track. It was before COVID. So it's been at least five years. Yeah. Maybe it was 2018 or 2019. I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember where you were on your path in this moment? I mean, this. yeah, it was actually 20, 20, like maybe right before 2019. Yeah. It was right before it was October. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we were both completely different women and completely completely different spaces. And I think this is the nature of time kind of in this human realm. And also when you're journeying so deeply, it's like time is, I don't really, time is so strange to me, but start here. Like who was Alexandra then? You know, I've been on my spiritual path for a long time, but my spiritual path wasn't a part of my job Mm -hmm. until I was like 2016 ish. So like about eight years ago, I was about 32 ish. I would weave my spirituality and my path as a woman and my investigation into women's spirituality and sexuality into all of my artistic work, my film work, my photography work as an artist. But I was really heavily identified with being an artist. I had some great successes and I also had periods of time where it wasn't sustainable for me to simply rely on my art to feed me, to house me, et cetera. So I met you when I had I had transitioned from filmmaking into starting a coaching and mentorship business and bringing my spiritual life and my skill as a facilitator, as a leader, as a speaker into like a new business. I was really flourishing. I was thriving at that moment. I mean, it's not everybody's story, but like 
I started my coaching business and I started stepping out and speaking and writing about my spirituality and my healing journey also. And I got so much great response. And I started an online membership called Moon Club. And mm. I didn't know anybody at the time that had an online membership through Zoom. I was leading rituals there. And that was back in 2016 with my dear friend, Ruby Warrington. So by the time I met you in 2019, you know, I kind of felt like I'm on top of my game right now. Like, I think I had already, yeah, I was already been working on my book. I had gotten a book deal. I gotten written about in the times. Like, I was like, I'm rocking this. And it felt really great because I had had so many ups and downs as an artist. And right before that phase, I had pitched two television series with big agents, creative arts agency and big producers like Oscar winners. And neither of those shows got bought. And that was like an intense heartbreak because you work on a show pitch for like two years or a year or something. One show pitch we probably worked on for a year. We pitched it. It was too ahead of its time. It was about meditation and Kundalini and ayahuasca. And like it was a satire about the spiritual world. At that time, there wasn't enough of a niche, you know. Now there would be a lot more space in the market for that. But the producers we worked with on that, who were Oscar winners, they had worked with Tarantino, all these people. It was so, it was such a surreal, gorgeous experience. They got it because they were like a little bit older hippies. And so they were like, this show's awesome. But like the execs at HBO and Showtime were still like, Mm. we think it's great, but we don't really get it. So when that didn't get bought, that was a huge heartbreak. And then we had another show that did get a pilot and we shot the pilot. And I kind of knew when I was shooting the pilot, like, this is not going to be my life. If this show moves forward into series, it would have had me going into all these different worlds of women and like living as them. And some of the pitches we had were really intense, like going to work at an illegal abortion clinic in a state that, you know, is a very highly politicized. And we would be making a documentary about what it's like to be a woman who chooses to work in that place and is like under bomb threats and all of this. And that show, it was so beautiful and intense and fiery, and it really represented a part of me. But while we were shooting the pilot, which we spent a week with these train hopping, hitchhiking, kind of gutter punk gals, and they took us around the US. I mean, it was very interesting. But while that was happening, I was like, do I really want this to be my life for the next year that I'm putting myself in all these very dangerous and risky situations on behalf of my art and the amount of money that they were going to pay for that show wasn't enough. And my agents were like, you're going to get paid the same as a school teacher for this TV show. (laughs) And you're putting yourself in extreme danger. And so I looked at it as a blessing from God, goddess, that that show didn't move forward. But what it meant was that I hit major rock bottom, just like everything in my life got scooped, tower card, everything fell apart. At the time, also, I was in a long-term relationship with someone that fell apart. I decided to leave New York City. It was totally broke. It was like a really intense moment where everything had felt so high. And I had been like hanging out with the fanciest people in Hollywood and this and that. And I felt so cool. And it all fell down. And that is where my business was born from. So it was actually born from, the reason I'm telling you guys this is because it was born from deep despair. (laughs) Also a major redirect, but really it was like born from a necessity. It was like, girl, you got to figure your shit out. But when I met you to bring it back to that 
Mm-hmm. You know, I had made it through the trenches. I had put this business out there and it actually had stuck. People were into it. And that felt so exciting and weird. And I was like, oh my God, like, am I even qualified to do this? But I was really trusting myself and my abilities. And so when I met you, Paul and Erica had invited me there as like a, because I had a social media following, which was not very big and still is not very big, but it was enough that at the time I was more involved on socials than I am now. I think it was a little bit of a different time. And I feel like my whole life was, you know, Erica even said, it's like watching Julia Roberts in a spiritual rom-com and you're just like sharing about your journey and it's so fun to watch. But at that time I was super heart lonely, wanting love. You know, my relationship that I'd gotten out of before, I mean, I ended up being single for probably like six-ish, five, six-ish years where it was just... That doesn't seem like a long time, I know, to some people. Okay, bless you. I know some people have been on a journey for many, for decades, right? For me, because I've always identified with my heart and with love, I've always been a lover. And part of that comes from dysfunction and trauma. And part of it comes from just my soul and being a lover. So those years were really hard. I Those were years where I thought, this is the time where I'm supposed to be with my person. I'm like 32 this is a time where if I want to have a family, like it's got to happen. So there was also this like pressure inside of me. Like, I think I missed the boat. Like it was so painful at times. Like, I think I missed the boat. I think I messed up. I spent these years, you know, investing in my film work and TV and it didn't even work out. And now I'm single (laughs) and um, I've missed my timeline or whatever. And that's when when I met you, I was in the middle of really sitting with my heart, really sitting with, is there a reason? Is it me? Am I blocking love? Why is it that it's not coming to me? What's here? I kind of went on an overachiever healing road for that year. I felt just like so ready. I went to Eric and Paul's retreat. I did an ayahuasca retreat in Costa Rica. I did more ayahuasca ceremonies. I went to a Tantra workshop in Berlin. I went to a workshop with a Tibetan Buddhist Tantra teacher in Italy. Like I was just like, let's do the work. Let's do the work. Let's do the work. I had gone to India the year before too. So it wasn't just around because I wanted to not be single anymore, but it was also, I was just really committed to my path at that moment. But there was a deep sadness and loneliness underneath that I was still dealing with and reckoning with. Like, why is my heart so sad and lonely? That had nothing to do with being single. It had to do with so much childhood stuff that I was still healing through. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful to hear because I've never asked you this, like I just witnessed you and Erica and Paul, I love, I mean, I've been on their retreat a handful of times. And one of the things that I love about the space that they hold is the circle of people that I sit with. It's just always like the most exquisite people. Mm. For me, witnessing you, I definitely feel what you're sharing around you being at the top of your game in terms of holding space for people and guiding people, because I could feel that kind of emanating from you and the radiance in that. But it's also here beautiful to hear kind of the behind the scenes of what was happening with your heart. And I know that now in hindsight, because of what I want to talk with you about in this episode, learning about before I met you, and you kind of just alluded to this, but I want to do a like a broad strokes before we deepen in with this idea of yearning, which I want to focus on for today. 
learning about you before I met you and then witnessing you now, the seasons of love that you've lived has been a delicious experience for me, Roxa, mm-hmm. because, and I suspect for many, as it's like what Erica said, like we're, we're watching your Eat, Pray, Love, where you're like, you know, the Julia Roberts <laughs> rom-com. Mm-hmm. I suspect I'm not the only one who's had a delicious experience witnessing this mm-hmm. Part of your lived experience. You're generous with your love and how you have experienced it, how you embody it, how you express it mm-hmm. in this lifetime. And this is really, I think, what you teach and inspire so many to do, which is really beautiful that you've been able to make this gift of your embodiment of how you live in this way part of your work. Can you share a broad strokes view of the seasons of love that you've navigated in your life just to give our conversation some perspective before we deepen in? Because what I love is that in a lot of ways in the seasons, as I look from start to finish, as I, and I just have been a foyer, it's been like a lot of love is love is love in your life. And I love that. I love, yeah. Yeah. Can you just share strokes? I don't want to spend too much time here. Yeah. Focus a lot of our conversation on the yearning piece, but just to give the listeners a perspective kind of, of of the seasons of love that you've navigated would be so. Yeah. I first want to say that I do think because my parents had addictive behaviors around love, sex, money, alcohol, food, okay. part of my draw towards love came from an unhealed wound first. Definitely, like I said, when I hit like 32, I saw that because I had been in relationships my whole life. Like my first boyfriend was in kindergarten. (gasps) Yeah. And then I had a boyfriend in second grade, (laughs) you know, and then, you know, there's also some like, yeah, there's some trauma related stuff as to why you have less maybe emotional or physical boundaries with other humans. So that's the shadow side, the sad side, (laughs) whatever you want to call it. Because I definitely, my sexuality kind of was very open starting quite young and there's beauty to that. And then there's the, again, the trauma related piece as to why, like, why did I have a sexuality that was already really advanced when I was like in middle school, you know, I was kissing boys and girls in middle school and um, not afraid at all. And I think, you know, part of that is just through my own childhood trauma. So, you know, I definitely had a lot of work to do around that as an adult and going, oh, I'm not just like a wild, amazing, carefree lover of everybody. I also was like a person that didn't have boundaries. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I definitely was following in my soul. I also am, am a lover and I loved having love around even like I said I remember in middle school in seventh grade having three different boys on Valentine's Day all bring me like roses and candy and I got to decide who I wanted and again that pattern was kind of born quite young for me and it wasn't like in like a popular mean girly kind of a way it was just like in a way that I was available (laughs) Like have enough love for everybody. Um, (laughs) Polyamorous 13 year old. Um, (laughs) But um, 
my first boyfriend and the first time that I had sex with a boy was when I was 17 and it was actually a really sacred moment. And I sat my mother down and I said, you know, I'm in love with Taylor and I'm going to make love to him and I'm going to go get on birth control just in case, but I'm still going to use a condom because I just want to be double sure. And I really loved him. And I waited till that moment where I really felt that deep love for another human to experience that. And again, the shadow side is I've been promiscuous off and on since I was 13. And I use that word with love and kindness to myself. And in college, I definitely had like lots of different loves and lovers. And throughout my 20s, I think I was in back-to-back relationships my whole 20s, starting, I think it was like age 22 to 32. No pause no pause, hopping from relationship to the next, sometimes leaving one person into the next long-term relationship. And that's again, where there, there was so much dysfunction. On the flip side, there's so much romance and fun and incredible stories. And like, I'm very lucky that I've had loves, like big loves, a love that we wrote 300 letters to each other back and forth over my space, which is hilarious. Right. And I took them And they were very artsy and poetic because that's how we were. We're 21 in Portland, Oregon. And I took them and put them into a Word document. And I took them to the one book binder that like probably exists in the States. There are very few, but in Seattle in this tiny little shop. And he bound those letters into a book with golden edges and like a red leather cover. Wow. And it looked incredible. It's called Letters of Budding Love. And I gave it to my love at the time, Aubrey, and he still has it. Like we'll email sometimes. He's like, I want my grandchildren to find this book and to read it. And so I think that that's the high side is like, I let myself love. I let myself be generous. I let myself have big romances where it was like, you know, I'm traveling through Italy and I meet a harpist at a party and I let myself walk up to him and go, wow, I love the harp. It's funny. That's how I met the other boyfriend, Aubrey. I went up to him after a show. I said, wow, I love the accordion. (laughs) Actually, this is a pattern. When I started dating my neighbor in Seattle, he was playing this incredible German industrial, like David Lynchy music. And I knocked on his door and I asked him what the music was he was playing. So music is obviously a a language of... Tip number one, ladies, if you're listening, this is tip number one. You heard it right. (laughs) Yeah. But that audacity as a lover to go up to someone to be curious that I know not everybody has. And that I do think is a part of my soul. It's like the curiosity to go. And we could debate about this because it's an initiating energy. Is it more feminine? Is it masculine? I started almost all of my relationships like that, except this is interesting. So most of those relationships, I was in control. Mm, I was feminine, but I was in control. The first relationship that I had where I was not in control, and I wrote about this in my next upcoming book, because it was where the healing with the masculine started with me, not with a man, with a woman. And she pursued me. She's very butch, very masculine. And that was the first time that I fell in love with someone who I was not the pursuer. I was not the seducer. And she came and she was like, I want you. And I, for the first time, let go and let myself fully surrender to a masculine lead in the body of a woman. And I was completely sideswiped by 
the universe, right? That was like, hey, you need to heal with the masculine. Mm-hmm. You keep choosing these amazing musician men. <laughs> I love this, the, the Devo Maheshwara. It's like the shake that you don't know that you need, but it's so divine. And it's like, yes. it's, it's always so perfect. We get the perfect teachers that we need in every moment, in whatever shape, form, all the things. Like if they're yeah. Perfect. And that's what I write about in my book in this, I write a little chapter about this in my next book, Dare to Feel, where I say that, like, you cannot run from the lessons. I couldn't run from the lesson that I needed to heal with men. Mm-hmm. I could not run from the lesson that I needed to learn how to surrender. But it came through a feminine body, which was so fascinating. But like, she wouldn't let me walk on the outside of the sidewalk, you know, because she was like, no, she would like take me and move me and scooch me in, or she would not let me carry my own groceries. I was just perplexed as a young feminist. (laughs) I was about 25. Yeah. 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 So, you know, my journey has been really vast. And I would say like my next book has a lot of stories about lovers, friends, and parents. It's like the relationships that have changed me. I was kind of joking. I was the other day, I was like, maybe should, this book should be called like your teachers are your lovers, friends, and parents, you know? like exactly. um, I love it. Well, it sounds like you haven't had too many breaks between, and maybe we can just skip through this next question because I have like shortly after our experience on retreat, we connected with our shared feelings of this idea of the lonely heart and desire and yearning. And that's really, for me, where I fell in love with you, like more deeply in love with you. But I felt like we were both kind of in this season of aloneness at the time. Yeah, Maybe there have been these moments of loneliness and aloneness. For you, what's the difference between loneliness and aloneness? Well, you know, we've talked about this question and I've thought about it and you've written about it so beautifully. And um, I think loneliness is really born from pain and a wound and a lack. And aloneness is born from creating space and to contemplate and to be with oneself and to bask in the mystery that it exists, that exists there. And I think for me, when I met you during that time, both were happening. That was like, like I said, like a six year stint, which was the only time I had ever had that. And part of it did feel lonely. And part of the aloneness felt amazing. And so much healing happened. Otherwise, I don't think I would have met my partner now because I needed to sit and let my heart become whole and really dive into so many pieces of myself that I had thought I had done on my own, but that I hadn't. And it really took being alone. And I was pushed to my edge so many times when I thought, I just can't bear it anymore. Right. This is really what I want to talk about because, and it's funny because I've had the exact opposite experience or I take big breaks. I'm a serial monogamist, but I take big, and I was a late bloomer. So lost my virginity at 19 with my college sweetheart at the time, who was also a virgin, sacred experience, beautiful. Then we stayed together for a long time. And then there was a broken heart and I take big pauses between, but they've been moments of both loneliness and aloneness. It wasn't really until much later that I was more deeply on my healing path that I realized what aloneness was. I'm Mm -hmm. the oldest of five and never had any alone time. Mm -hmm. So For me, being alone was terrifying. Mm -hmm. But then when I kind of embraced this idea of aloneness, for me, there comes a time I feel like in your aloneness where your aloneness becomes a fullness. And when it begins to feel like a holy ache, 
Caleb mm. Roche says, he kind of says this in the um, Radiant Sutras, it's like a holy ache. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, where it's when desire mo- moves to yearning, and that's kind of mm. how I feel. It's like it starts with this desire of this want, yeah, and then it moves into this yearning. And as I opened to this and allowed this to kind of take me, it became a deep feeling of yearning for me that I was in. I Now I'm remembering exactly when we met and how long ago it was because I was just leaving my sister before she passed. And so it was like, you know, maybe four years ago. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we were both in a tender spot, I think. And I fell really in love with you during this time because I feel like we had a shared season of yearning. Um, yeah, this moment after the retreat and yearning for the love that we both have right now, which I think, yeah. which is the whole reason why I wanted to have this conversation today, because it was really beautiful to yearn together. Yeah, and this is what I want to focus the rest of the conversation on. What is yearning for you, and how does it feel for you, and how do you hold it and trust it and cultivate it, and maybe even create with it? Like I know this is a big question and a big we're segueing into this, but. This was for me, Roxo, like you and I, we sent many voice notes back and forth and we're getting really clear about our desire, which we'll talk about after. But it felt really like we were really embracing, like really sitting with this feeling of like, what yeah. do I desire and, and what does this feel like? So for you, what is yearning? Yeah. I want to say one thing before I answer that, which is about the holy ache that and about aloneness and loneliness that there was a moment when my loneliness and my aching from lack changed to aloneness and the holy ache. And that was when we connected. It was the six months before I met my partner. And it was interesting, even during that time, I had a few X's pop back into my field, kind of feeling like they were testing me in a way. And I fell, I really fell down the hole with one of them. The other one, I was like, oh, hell no, this is not the thing. And then there was another one actually that came through and I was like, this is not the thing. But at the time, there's a moment where it's actually the moment where the day that I met my now partner, where I was so in the holy ache and outside of the grasping for love. And I knew this because I was at my friend's wedding where my partner and I met and someone introduced me to him. And then my friend sat us next to each other at the dinner. So multiple people were trying to matchmake us. And I just was so neutral about it. There was no grasping. There was no projecting from me. Had a calm dinner. We didn't even talk that much. And after the dinner, everyone, you know, it was a big after party. And I just went back to my room and sang songs in the dark about the heart and about, you know, medicine songs. I had sat in medicine ceremonies. And I just remember feeling no FOMO, no like, well, wait, I'm at this wedding. I could go, I could be out there like meeting my love of my life. That was how every moment had operated before, always. Like he could be here, he could be here. And I remember that night feeling like there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to get. There is no destination here. There is no grasping that needs And that's when I felt the transformation fully of I'm in my aloneness and I'm in the holy ache and there's no no rush, no scarcity here. And it's funny because then over the next 
that was end of February pre-COVID. Then over like March, April, May, over the next three months was when this very slow conversation started with my now partner. And it was so slow and I had no grasping, no clinging, no intensity. I was so in my heart and in my holy ache very strongly, but without it being from loneliness or scarcity. So anyway, I just wanted to say that about that before I moved on to the other piece, because I did feel a transformation. And I'm telling that to anyone listening who is like, is it ever going to feel like a good holy ache, clear and powerful, yeah. or is it always going to feel like there's a hole in my heart? And there was a moment for me where it was like, boom, it's no longer a hole in my heart. It is this doorway almost, or this like beautiful cave. So you were filled with the yearning or you were filled with the holy ache. You let it take you. Like I said, you, yeah. you surrendered to it. Yeah. 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 And is that what yearning feels like for you? Think of yearning almost like a prayer. And again, the distinction for people of when it's coming from that place of grasping, clinging, filling a void, and not, that distinction takes spiritual practice, that takes awareness practice, that takes you knowing yourself. Because you could lie to yourself and say, oh, it's all yearning, it's all yearning, when it's really just like this like hungry ghost, right? And that's what I would say I had dealt with was a hungry ghost, a little child, I want love, I want love, I want love. So in order to discern the voices inside of you, it's like you have to do a lot of deep work. I did a lot of deep work to hear that hungry ghost so that I could not lie to myself and say, oh, this is just my yearning, my spiritual yearning, (laughs) which you see all over the internet. Sure, People that are just starving for attention, starving for love and masking it as some sort of spiritual thing, right? The new, the new lens, which is like, it's the, this yearning or being in your desire, expressing your desire or staying in your yearning is this feminine quality. And the the masking of I'm in my feminine, I'm yearning. Right. Um, And that's really why I'm wanting to have this conversation about it's a practice. It's cultivating it. It's yeah, it's transmuting all the stuff that it's not into the holy ache. Right. And in order to do that, it's just like you have to be able to see the other stuff, right? And I think any practitioner, any woman out there who's on the path, you learn that along the way. It's like, okay, like, what is this really? Is this a desire born from like the deepest truths of my soul? Or is it born from my pain? Is it born from my uncertainty about whether I'm worthy? Those are hard pills to swallow at times. No one wants to go, oh, my beautiful yearning, oops, slash, it's because I felt I felt completely unlovable. The lack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. The um, right. Yeah. So I think that once you start to play with yearning and feel it, and then you can do this in your practice or in your poetry writing or whatever, then you start to discern, ooh, that yearning feels pure. The word pure is, you know, it's a very loaded word. So I don't mean that to traumatize anyone with that word, but we could say it feels distilled or clean, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like packed full of baggage, that yearning. So a yearning that is not packed full of baggage versus a yearning that is a yearning that feels like it's almost a complaint to the universe. Well, I don't have the love I want now. Well, why is everybody else? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you only can learn that by sitting with it and feeling it and discerning and not getting mad at yourself if you're like, 
oh, I'm so yearning. And then you realize, oh, this is actually, I'm yearning from a complaint. I'm yearning from victimhood. I'm yearning from, you know, deep childhood trauma. Like, don't be be mean to yourself about that. You're a human. That's okay. But it's just a sign to then go go deal with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe in a therapeutic way, maybe in a, you know, with a mentor, or maybe on your own where you deal with, okay, well, what is actually getting in the way of that distilled yearning for love? Because if my yearning for love is being broadcast from me with tinges of victimhood, tinges of complaint, tinges of blame. I'm going to attract in people that are going to play with me in those domains. Maybe that's what I need right now. Right. Maybe I actually, yeah. (laughs) And maybe I can sit with myself and get really real about that. Wow. My yearning right now is full of victimhood for like, why me? And why did this happen to me? Eventually, I do think, and this I think happens in relationship between us and the divine, that we find underneath all of those stories something that feels like a true desire to be in union with love, which is God, which is truth, which is everything. I think that exists at the base of every human being, whether we know it or not. And once we touch that a little bit, be it, you could even touch that reading a poem, like you said, in the Radiant Sutras, or you could read Emily Dickinson, or you could read Keats or whomever, and you could hear Mary Oliver, you could hear just a little bit of that and feel it in your body. Oh, that's what yearning is. And Mary Oliver may be talking about how she's yearning in a way, she may not use the word yearning and she may talk about her in nature, but there's still this divine connect there that you feel. So For me, I have definitely had that turned on so much through art and poetry and film and like felt the yearning from the shadow and from the pure kind of pure place in all of those places in spiritual text. And it's helped me to recognize it in myself. Yeah. And others, when you're writing others, it's really beautiful. Yeah. And the first time I felt that was when I read the book, The Magdalene Manuscript, when I was like 20. Okay. And I felt like, oh, this is the thing I yearn for. Yeah. This well, kind of soul love. Question. Yeah. The next question is when we were experiencing this and kind of really being in, we were in the yearning for what we have now. What were you yearning for exactly in that moment? As we both guide women in this art of yearning, if I dare call it that, how important is it to become really clear in your desire and steeped in your yearning as you're wanting to call it to you or wanting to be found by it, as Jillian says? Does it become a power, a feminine power of sorts, a power for for what ends or for what means when you get really clear? I think you've kind of already addressed this because of the experience at the wedding when you and Eli met each other, because it distills itself down to the purest kind of essence. You just become it. It's just an embodiment. It's no longer an active like grabbing or an active like shadow or an active like thing it's like distilled so much so that you embody it and then you're radiating it or you just are it i would just love to hear you share like what were you yearning for in that moment in terms of a partner or in terms Mm -hmm. of the love that you are calling to you or wanting to align with in that moment i really wanted a spiritual partner like a person who could walk the path with me like i said i've been aware of my spiritual path. We're always on a spiritual path. So, but I was brought into the awareness about it when I was young. And when I, you know, my teacher explained to me what karma was and what, 
his perspective on like why we're here and what we're doing and working through these different life classrooms. And this was like in 1996 or five or no, six, seven. And so I always wanted someone who could walk a path of being aware of why we're here and not just to work and accomplish things. And I had never been in one of those relationships. I had had great relationships with artists and creatives and like brilliant genius people, but no one who I had ever been in relationship with was really like, I'm on a path. I don't think everybody needs that. So my mine is, I tell my, <laughs> some of the women I work with, so I was like, don't compare yourself to me because Eli and I are a very particular type of a couple. We both have been in spiritual practice very deeply from a young age, partially because of trauma, mm-hmm. partially because of our soul's yearning for it. I wanted that, but I was also scared of it. You know, I think on some level, I wanted to be with somebody who was evolved and super conscious. But on another level, if I wasn't, it meant I could hide a little bit. I could still be kind of bad girl and I could do things that were slightly unconscious. <laughs> but by age by age 30, whatever, whatever, when it was, we've been together for three years. So I guess it was age 36-ish or something. I was ready. I was ready. And I think, you know, I would have considered that a late bloomer age to like meet your person, We're even though that's totally, yeah, I was like, even though it's a total lie, like there's really no age here, people <laughs> at all. There's no right or wrong there. But I think I was finally like, okay, I actually do want to meet someone who maybe has a deeper practice than me, maybe has walked the path longer than me. And so for me, the yearning to have someone as a spiritual companion is the wrong word, but like walker, practitioner on the path was the biggest thing I was yearning for. And the biggest thing that I was most afraid of simultaneously, because I knew that it meant that like, well, I may not be able to like, what? It was going to work you. <laughs> it was going to work me. Exactly. And it did, you know, and it has. And yeah, but I think that was the core thing that I was yearning for, but that I was also simultaneously really terrified of having and actually receiving that. Yeah. It helps us to understand why there was an absolute trust in what was coming, right? It, it kind yeah. of like a little natural governor of like, okay, I'm yearning for this thing that I know is going to be my next biggest teacher in life. And I think I don't have to rush. I think it's going to come when it's coming. You have this gnosis about it. And yeah. What happens to the yearning when the king shows up, Alexandra? Like, does he meet you in this felt sense of your yearning? What does the feminine embodiment gift to him? How did Eli show up in all the ways for you here? And is the yearning still alive? For yeah. What happens to this yearning when the thing that you've yearned for for so long is suddenly here? Yeah. I think this is where people can sometimes get kind of like caught up because he's a human who's going to be changing all the time and he's not always going to be available to be my king when I want him to be, you know, he's going to also be off doing his thing. <laughs> and so I could, yesterday I yearned for him. <laughs> I was like, he's been out in his little, he has like a little back house office where we live. And I was like, I haven't seen him all day. And I texted him. I'm like, can I have a hug? And he's like, okay, I'm coming in to have some lunch anyway, you know? And um, I was yearning for him 
just because I hadn't seen him for six hours or something like that. And so the yearning doesn't go away. Also, underneath the yearning for a human, I still think it's the yearning for this divine reunion where we're not in the space of separation with our truth of who we are. We remember that we're all love and that we're all these infinite beings, not intellectually, but like fully. So I don't think it goes away. And having that yearning though met often is just incredible. It's such the most healing, fulfilling thing (laughs) to be like yearning to be held by this person that I love or this kind of emblem of strength and support and leadership or whatever. And to actually receive that again and again and again is so incredible. And there are days where he can't, or he's busy or he's in a bad mood or whatever. And so, you know, it's not like that. Human. Yeah. And not like that, that yearning is always fulfilled now. Like it's perfect. Found my King. And then, you know, it's always there. But yeah, and it's interesting. So then my yearning really turned to, I yearned to be a mother. And that was where my yearning, now that I'm, you know, brought this man into my field or he's brought me into his field or whatever the hell, then my yearning turned towards, I want to be in a family with this person. And that was a whole nother journey of yearning and a whole nother crucible for us where he wasn't ready and I was ready. And I I was in a lot of pain emotionally, because I thought I was going to miss the boat, um, which is part programming by society and part biology. And so that yearning was also really big. And it was a deep yearning for family because I grew up latchkey kid alone, no brothers and sisters, mom working all the time. I really wanted to create family. I wanted to have that experience of family. And I sat by the ocean and I sat here and there and I gave it up a million times. Forget it. I don't need it. I don't want it. Let it go. I'll let it go. Here, give it to you, God. I don't need family. I can do this and I don't need to be a mom. You know, like I so many times let go, tried to let go of my yearning (laughs) to be a mother or to have my own family. And then it would keep coming back. And then I would feel the pain again. Ah, I have this desire and it's not going to be met. I don't think it's going to be met. And that was just such the next crucible. I was like, can I just get a break here? Right. (laughs) You know, but it was the timing. Yeah. 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 So it was the timing for us. And then, you know, that was like a two-ish year journey of being like, am I going to be met in this yearning? Is he going to meet me here? He may not. Do I still want to be in the relationship with him if he can't meet this? He's meeting all this other yearning I have. And so our story has been deep in that way. It's been cleansing in that way. It's actually asked me to meet a lot of edges in that way. It's been sacred alchemy and deep work. It hasn't just been like, great, met my man, everything's great. It's like, no, met my man. We had to heal through some deep attachment issues that we both had therapeutically in therapy together and really like being these two independent people who have an idea about how their lives are and who have patterns of how they interact and and cope with life. You know, my one of mine coping has been like achieving, achieving or whatever, doing, doing. So all that had to be sort of unwound. And then it was like, okay, now, now that we've created this security, this is where a family could be born from. Mm, That's beautiful. Yeah. And when are you due soon? Mm -hmm. In the the next four weeks. Oh my goodness. Amazing. (laughs) Can you share the ways that you personally work with 
the energy, gift, creative power of yearning or desire, whatever this is in a practical sense for listeners to take some yeah. of an inspiration from. And for those of you that are not following Alexandria in all the ways, please consider doing this after listening because she embodies a life lived in this energy, like the beauty of what is possible when you allow the yearning to guide you. And I'm wildly inspired by this, like the poetry, the writing, the substack, the all of your offerings, the way that you deliver them and create the space and your membership and all the things. Is this born from this place of yearning? Like, where do you get this power Yeah, in this way? And it's really, it's all very feminine and steeped in love. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I would say. It's like, if you're in the yearning, use it, be right. with it. Because there are actually, sometimes I sit to write and I feel so content and so full. It's hard to write. That it's hard to write, you know? Yeah. And this is like the artist conundrum in a way. It's like, totally. so I would say, even though you feel like potentially you're in excruciating pain and waiting forever and ever, and it's just terrible, use that right from that place, right from that broken open heart, that hungry heart, that yearning heart, because once you're met, you won't feel that anymore. There is that holy ache. It does exist there. You can read it in Rumi and Hafiz. You can read it in so many mystics, but they're longing for God usually, and that's part of it. And so maybe you're longing for God, or maybe you're just longing for your partner, but there's so much artistic fuel there. So I would just say, I mean, I'm grateful I'm really grateful for all of those years where I had so much fuel there. Right. Uh, was it comfortable? No. <laughs> right. Right. Um, it's a, yeah. It's really wild that truth about writing and creating, and how for me, I feel like. But who am I to say? My best poetry, my best work, comes from heartbreak. My whole book, which was uh, self-published, my poetry book, was my healing through poetry for myself. And yeah. when everything is fine and my heart is happy, it's like, oh, I, I just don't feel as inspired. It's really, really wild how that happens. Totally. And it also is like, do I really need to sit and write about my feelings? No, I'm going to like go to the garden and I'm going to cook Who dinner. Another poem about a daffodil, like another <laughs> about a rose. Exactly. I like to end with three questions. We're coming to the end and I want to keep this to an hour. It's been so beautiful to chat about this. But at the end of every episode, I like to ask these same three questions. And the first one is, which one of these do you relate to the most? And maybe today, I don't know, or just in general, but whole, healed, or holy, and why? Mm. I like holy today. I'll say holy. I think I've spent so much of my life reclaiming the notion that I, as a woman, as a sexual woman, as an expressed woman, am holy after growing up in a Christian culture in the South that said I wasn't holy and that my body was not holy and my sexuality was not holy and my feelings were not holy and all of this to feel that actually all of it is like drops of the divine that move through me and speak through me and that that is incredibly holy feels so comforting feels like home and belonging I really do wish that for every woman, every human out there. Mm-hmm. A book that you love or that you've gifted the most? Mm. I've gifted the most or that I don't know. Mm. I gifted Mirabai Star's Wild Mercy to a few friends last year. And 
That was a great book. Also, The Big Leap, as funny as it is, it's so not a deeply spiritual book, but um, but I've recommended that a lot to people. It sort of helped me, I think, on my path to discover like that I was allowed to be who I am in my work. I'm reading her other book, God of Love. Mm. Um, it's the intersection of um, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Um, oh, beautiful. Faith uh, path. It's so beautiful. I mean, I love her. Yeah, she's awesome. A quote or mantra that you love or that you or that guides you? One that's been coming up lately is just take from me all that is not free. And it's like a lyric from a song by Bhagavan Das on an old album he's like an old yogi jivamukti new york like friend of ramdas he introduced ramdas to neem karuli baba and it the song is just like it's to kali it's like oh ma kali ma and it's like please take from me anything that is not free and when i find myself kind of in a crunch inside or you know like in a story or something like that i just remember that that's just a part of me that's not free it's not liberated yet and so that I can ask Divine Mother, I can say, can you please help take from me this part of me that is not free? Thank you. Right. It's beautiful. Yeah. So important to be clear with Kali. Very clear. We've had that yes. before. Yes. Um, we, <laughs> we talked about that on no our... No carte blanche with Kali. This is not no. a good idea. I've learned that. Nope. Develop a relationship, make offerings, ask for grace. Do not come to any deity blind people. Don't come just asking for things. I remember when I told you that, and this is a now, if you're curious, I can guide you to this conversation. I think it was an IG live we did where I said, I gave Kali carte blanche and Alexandra was like, you did what? You need to light candles and do, I don't remember what you said, but just ask for grace, ask for grace. This is, you know, because it was the time when the Instagram account was taken. Wow wiped away. Will you share the offerings that you have coming up in the ways in which I know you're about to go on like a little three or four month hiatus and be a little yeah. quieter? You have your book coming, your second book coming. Second book comes out in January. Stay tuned. If you don't follow me on Instagram, my Instagram's at Alexandra Roxo, and I'll share with you the book coming out, which is so much about heart and yearning and the path. It's called Dare to Feel the Transformational Path of the Heart. It's about these crucibles of the heart. Well, the times our heart gets shattered, smattered, opened, all of it. A lot of stories, a lot of poems and rituals. And, and in general, be, will it be on Audible or only? Yeah, it's true because I just saw that you just finished recording it yourself, which I love. I did, and the audio book's going to be awesome, you I guys. I love this because, and I don't know if I should say this, and if it's not okay, we can take it out. But I'm remembering when the first book was coming out, and you had to audition to for your was, own. Book. I mean, I was and heartbroken. Said, no, sorry, you can't read your own book. I remember that. You yeah, you know, and part of that was because there was another company that did all the audio recordings. So it wasn't even my publisher. It was like that this other company and the people in there, they already had in-house actors who were cheaper than me anyway. But I got so validated and this is you guys, sometimes your ego gets blasted and you literally are like, I cannot believe that I just failed the audition for my own book, like total ego shatter. And you shared it on Instagram, which is what I love. You're like, I yeah. can't believe this happened. That's how I know. Totally. <laughs> and again, it wasn't even my publisher's fault. It was just like that they had a contract with this audio company. 
But this time they don't have the contract with the audio company anymore. And so they're doing things in house, which is amazing. The audio engineer, the director, he was like, you are amazing at this. He was like, you're incredible. I love hearing. He was validating me all day long. And I was, it was so healing to the me from three years before who quote unquote failed my audition. I, I mean, I was as, like, as a poet and a spoken word artist and, and a writer, like, I don't understand who would say that the writer reading their own words isn't as like, there's somebody better than that. Nobody can no. read your words better than you can. No. And it wasn't that it was just about a contract that they had to outsource their audiobooks and all this to and, say, the audible is coming with you yeah. reading your own book. And I can't, and, yeah. And it was so fun. And it was, it's so alive. It'll be really alive as an option. I also see clients one-on-one and I will be seeing clients again, starting in January. And I'm sort of shifting my coaching and mentorship practice to hold what motherhood may bring. And so I'm doing more like people sign up with for a slot with me, same time every week. And most of the work happens within that time slot, which is actually a little bit more affordable than what I've been offering the last few years. So if you're looking for someone to work with as a coach and mentor ongoing, at I think a price that's outside of the numbers of the coaching business, more along the lines of a therapeutic model. Um, I'm going to be offering that since the way I've been coaching and mentoring women has been so all encompassing, like voice notes and emails, and I'm reading your writing and I'm right. like literally giving so much. Right. I just won't be able to do that when I'm giving so much to a little being. So it will hopefully also just make things more accessible and affordable. I will be offering the deep dives for a few people and also consultation for writers or artists or authors, but just not those, not the depth of work that I've been doing and at the higher price point for a while. But I also have a membership where I lead people, women in embodiment and spiritual practices that open the heart, that release emotion. And I have a method that I've been teaching and working with for the last seven years and that people really enjoy doing with me. So you kind of come for a transformational experience in a two-hour time slot that requires you not just in the mind. It's really a lot of feeling and expression and emotion and kind of washing through your system and opening you up. So that membership, we meet like twice a month and it's just a place to kind of tune up and stay open. Those are my main things. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I love you. Thank you for I the love you too. Has touched mine so deeply for the better and mm. your of your unique and full human woman on this spiritual path is exquisite, Alexandra. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much. All that you are in for this precious time. And I can't wait to meet the little one and to read or listen to it. I want you to know I might be putting you in my ears as I walk in the mornings um, through Paris. And that feels like really yummy to me. That'll be so fun. I would love that. I just, I love that. Looking forward to that. All right. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. It means a lot to me that we have shared this moment of deep conversation. If you feel inspired or touched by something in this episode, please leave a comment and or a review. For more in all the ways, please find me at Whole Healed Holy on Instagram and at www.patricia-russo.com.
www.thisisfeminineinstitute.com on the web. Stay close, please, and know that you are whole, you are healed, and you are holy. I love you. Until next time.